Hear ye, hear ye, and welcome to the Rolling Ball, the Lesser Tigers fans podcast hosted by two absolutely knackered old blokes, uh, it feels like tonight. I'm Mike, and over there is Elliot. Elliot, mate, um, good away trip at Bedford, feeling the effects today? Yeah, really, really good trip. I'd highly recommend to anyone um, that ever has a weekend short and they need some rugby fix. Uh, get yourself down to Bedford to to get it because it's a it's a great setup down there. Really welcoming, great set of fans, and a proper old school rugby club. Um, and to be fair to Bedford, and we'll get into the the, the match review. They play some good rugby, uh, and it is a really good. Yeah, they did a really good day out. The tickets are reasonably priced, and I would highly recommend um, adding it onto your um, things to do list or rugby rugby hit hit list um but yeah it was really good really good um the problem is i as i said to you before we press record i've i've had a a poorly timed sleeping tablet which is um not the best of moves i've ever had so i'm feeling the effects of that, that. that's from yesterday not just before we hit record <laughs> it's not that yeah, it's not russian roulette not that not that desperate to get through it <laughs> yeah it's yeah. not russian roulette where i take a sleeping tablet just before we press record and just to make it sound all drowsy just, just to clear clear it up for everyone we're actually recording on sunday night um tonight which is very rare for us we always do monday night obviously sometimes tuesdays if we've got work stuff or we've got guests who can only make a certain time so we we may sometimes do it on tuesday but um unfortunately for me i've well, I say unfortunately yes it is unfortunately for my bank account i've had fred my son's birthday today and i have my wife's birthday tomorrow and simply put the idea of recording a podcast where she's got the kids all day uh, and i'm at work tomorrow when i could be cooking her a nice dinner wasn't going to fly very well. Uh, but like you, I am absolutely shagged because we, we've had a lovely day today for Fred's birthday. Shout out to Freddie uh, for today. And uh, I suppose shout out to my wife, Beth, who um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not going to say her age, actually, because she'll get cross. But we 25, had... wasn't it? It's 25. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. But then I'm that much older. That makes it sound creepy. So we'll just say 30. Just say 30. Fine. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, but basically, had a lovely day. Went to Longleat Safari Park um, and was, was very full on. You know, obviously, monkeys on the car was the big highlight as well. You know, you could hear me wincing with every laugh Freddie gave, but it was very much worth it. Had a fantastic time. The, the only thing is, you feel absolutely exhausted and you feel kind of guilty because it's a day of like grade A parenting. There is 100% energy throughout the entire day. Dad's doing monkey noises in the car. He's leaping about pretending to be a monkey before you even go through the enclosure. You're making, trying to make the kids laugh at every opportunity. And then when the day's finished, you're absolutely shagged. And then we agreed to record this. So it's whether or not it's a good decision, we'll, we'll turn out the quality of the analysis, I suspect. But it, it was a day when there wasn't any shirking where you go, to, oh, I'm just going to put the kids in front of the telly for 10 minutes. Um, we didn't do any of that. And it seems to be, I seem to be paying the price now. Yes, it, it's it. We're fu- it's full on. Yeah, well, I, I hope the listeners are bringing the energy anyway. Um, thank you to everyone who has been listening and rating and reviewing and all that. Please, 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 if you do enjoy listening, please leave us a review on Spotify or on particular on Apple, uh, where it seems to boot us up the general podcast list a bit better. So that would be much appreciated. Good little podcast for you. We're not going to dwell too long on the Bedford game for a variety of reasons. A, we lost and we're sore losers and we don't like talking about it. But B, it was such a mixed team or su- such an untested and inexperienced team. It's quite hard to take a lot out of it for the season as a whole. 
but we'll have a chat about it anyway, and that's going to be very reliant on Elliot again, thanks to no format replay again. <laughs> uh, I've seen the highlights, and I listened to Adam Witty and Tom Vandell's excellent coverage on Radio Leicester. And speaking of Tom Vandell, Tom Vandell will be joining us to talk about his time at Tigers and uh, his opinion on Leicester Tigers pre-season and what the season holds for us going forward. So uh, that should be really, really good. We are also very lucky to be joined by Pete Brearley of the Bears Beyond the Gates podcast, which is now tradition, looking ahead to the game at Ashton Gate, the Premiership opener on Friday night. Uh, so really good, as always, to get his perspective, even if he does find it deeply amusing that Pat Lamb still lives rent-free in our heads, which he does. He lives more rent-free in your head than he does mine. Yeah, I mean, there is something about that man's face and voice and just general existence that that, that really strikes enough with me now. Um, I, and it is still almost entirely due to Scrumgate. I'm still not over it. It's pathetic, but there we go. Um, if you want to... Oh, before I move, uh, move on as well, uh, in case you were wondering if we were going to do a fancy league update, uh, we're well, not this time, and it's not just because my week's been crap which it has been, unless Fiji really pull it out the bag as we're recording. But because the whole round's not gone on, the league table isn't fully updated. So we'll just do a, a hyper update next week. There is going to be a Premiership Fantasy League, though. Uh, so the Rolling Mall will be setting up uh, its own private league. Keep your eye out on our socials. Can I say that now? Our socials. They go for it. Uh, keep your eye out on our socials for details of that private league. You can join that. Um, in terms of tips, Elliot... I mean, I think the rule is you can have four players in your 23-man squad. You can make six subs a week, which sounds a lot, but actually I don't think is a lot when you think about guys coming back in and rotation and injuries and stuff like that, guys coming back for the World Cup. So um, it's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, Elliot, if you're going to think of some tips for listeners, not that we should be at all listened to on fantasy rugby, any selections and any general tips you, you would share? I think availability. So looking at someone that is going to play as many games as possible and look at, obviously we've got Hanro and Jasper in the 8 out of 10 club. I suspect the challenge for me and for everyone is to try and find the 8 out of 10 club members from each club and try and get as many of them in, in, in in the squads as possible. Yeah, and I think that there is, you know, there's there could be definitely a strong top three in the league. And I think it's fair to say, I think Quinns could actually make that a very strong top four as well. So I think it's worthwhile looking at loading your players with teams from what we think might be the top four, which is Saracens, Sale, Harlequins and Tigers. I think that there are some bugs. Oli Hassel Collins is the obvious one that we hope is going to get us a bag load of tries. But if you look elsewhere, there's some absolute bargains to be had. The one that I see for this weekend, uh, Saracens, um, Segan on the wing. Electric player, great finisher, got himself a decent amount of tries last season. Hassel Collins, I think, is eight million, and I think Segan or Shegan, sorry, is two million. I mean, that that is a very very good deal. So I'd recommend looking at someone like that. And then I hate to say it, but having seen how Newcastle played against us, pick pick players who's playing Newcastle. It's bad, that it, but yeah, yeah, it's bad. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us. Our email address is therollingmall at outlook.com. Our Twitter handle is rollingmallpod. And we have a Facebook group as well. Just search for The Rolling Mall. Before we crack on, a quick thank you to our sponsors, St. Martin's Coffee Rushes, who are helping us put this all together 
St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans and St. Martin's have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGBALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. The news section is brought to you by Parish Brewery. Parish Brewery award-winning ales are brewed in a 400-year-old convertible stable block in Borough on the Hill in rural East Leicestershire. And it's from here that the chaps that run the place, good blokes, dodgy haircuts, a couple of them, that's fine, like to follow the traditional ways of brewing using only the finest malted barley, hops, yeast and water to brew their cask-conditioned beer. The brewery began life in 1983 as one of the first microbreweries in the area and have forerunners to many others that have opened since. In addition to the many beer festival awards, the brewery is the proud recipient of a Guinness Book of World Records Award in 1994 for having brewed the world's strongest beer at the time, Baz's Super Brew at 23%, Baz being the previous owner of the brewery. Uh, Baz's Bonds Blower, by the way, is still available in bottle form, and if you want to finish a night on a high uh, or, or a crushed low, I fully recommend it. It's actually very tasty. Um, anyway, please follow the Parish Brewing Company on Facebook or Parish Brewery on Instagram and take a picture of your Parish beer next to a pump clip on the bar with you in the picture and include the name of the pub and post it on the Facebook page or the Instagram page and you'll be automatically entered into a draw at the end of the month to win a 10-litre bag-in-the-box of the cask beer you are photographed with. And the two beers you're going to come across in local pubs are Parish Special Bitter and Proper Charlie. Now, Proper Charlie is very, very popular. Special Bitter is my personal favourite, but both, both excellent. You'll find it in various local pubs around Leicestershire, and in particular in Everard's pubs at the moment, where they happen to be guesting. Good luck, everybody, and enjoy. Alrighty then, let's go to the beep, 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 news section. Come on, Elliot, let's get some energy in this. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> all the enthusiasm that I felt when saying happy birthday to Fred. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I think let's start with a positive noise, which is new signing. Um, it, it comes off the back of some less positive noise, which we'll, we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but we have a new signing from, uh, obviously, the sadly now defunct Jersey Reds. Yeah, Ben Woollett has, has joined us, um, a six foot five winger. Has come over from um, from Jersey to join us, and um, yeah, it's, as I tweeted last week, I, I always feel one of these sort of signings. You always feel a little bit guilty about it. It always feels like a bit like a vulturish um, and picking the bones of a carcass. But it, yes. the, the, as someone um, quite rightly pointed out, he said, actually, you've given a lot of contracts, so don't look at it in a bad way. Take the positive from it, which you, you've you've kept a lad in in work and and employment. And pretty quickly as well. So, and even um, if it's short term, it's shop window for him. Uh, yeah, and, and it means that he's keeping himself around a professional environment, even if he doesn't get too many appearances. 
means that he's ready to go for a longer term opportunity comes up either here or um, elsewhere as it may be but he looks handy doesn't he as you say kind of like that size and he's still he's pretty fast he's experienced Um, and and I thought he he was pretty solid against Bedford he's a risk-free signing for us because ultimately it we're not hanging our hopes on him but he adds in another depth um, in a position which is good and it I thought he had a good game against um, Bedford to be fair there was a couple of defensive bits where he was out of position but to a certain extent that was expected because a the defensive like the, the back line had never really played together so there's a couple of nearly everyone was out of position at least once in the game because they just didn't have the same connectivity that you get when you play alongside each other regularly and secondly he'd only been with the club a week you know he's gone from jersey where they've got their defensive systems he's been with us for a week learning our defensive systems there is going to have that um have those moments where he's not quite where he should be or his think- time is off I think their first try, we were, he got caught quite narrow, didn't he? And that, that that happened a couple of times. But the problem is, it wasn't always just him coming in narrow. It was the the defenders inside him going in narrow. So then he he has to follow. Otherwise, you've got a gap through the middle. So yeah, it's um it, it's a hard one. I think you can't, you almost only judge him on what he does when you you kind of the plan goes out the window, which is when the ball gets in his hand or when he has a one on one tackle to make things like that. I thought he looked pretty handy. So. Um, welcome. He, he took his try well. He took yeah, his try well, and at well. six foot five and fifteen, sixteen stone, or whatever, he is going to be a handful on the wing. And in certain, I can see him getting a bench slot in a few prem games just to be a nuisance. You know, yeah, he, it's, a, it's a different type of winger to what we've got as well. Yeah, and you know, having a physical winger is something that we we haven't really replaced Namani with that physicality, that out and out physicality on a wing. So having someone in there that can, he's got eleven tries by all accounts for last year for Jersey in the championship. So he knows his way to a try line. So I think it's to, for, for all parties, I think it's a really good pickup. Let's go on to the less good news that sort of precedes the signing of Willett, though, is that we understand Harry Simmons has an injury. Um, Willett's been brought in on injury dispensation. Generally, the words injury dispensation mean it's not particularly brilliant news on the injury front, but I don't know anything further than that. Yeah, I think Simmons took a knock. Um, against Amptill. So it's a bit of a shame, really, because he had a good start to pre-season. It was really, I was really enjoying watching Simmons play. I thought he, he, he looks he looks electric. Yeah, he's got... What Simmons has got is out-and-out pace. And that's always such a good attribute to have. And, and as we saw last year against Claremont, he's got a decent sidestep on him. So, no, I, I, it's a shame for Harry, but, you know, it's a long season and injuries are um, going to feature. So, this is why you build a squad to, to be able to cope with that. And so bringing someone like Woollett in helps um, mitigate the, the damage that's been caused by an injury to a good player. Let's, um, I suppose, on our roller coaster of news, get on to more positive sounds, which is that which echoes around the Anthony Watson situation. Um, again, nothing confirmed. We've said for a long time that we expect him to be a Tigers player, perhaps after England finished the World Cup. Uh, rumours of him being on effectively almost a prototype hybrid contract are abound and there are a couple of sort of little things that have cropped up on socials which lead us to believe that um, he is certainly staying in the area Yeah, him and Scotty and now Simo have sort of joined forces in their sort of rehab and JVP was actually as well so they've gone down to a gym down in Lutterworth and they're doing some rehab um, specialist gym work um, down there together. So they've had a f- couple of photos from all together from there. I think it's 
it, it doesn't take a genius to work out if you put two and two together the chances are that Watson's still li- living in the area and as we've sort of said it points towards him being less a Tigers player for, for, for this season and next Shall we get on to some Tiger Watch? Yeah, let's do it. Sorry, Tiger Watch. Uh, let's start with the games that uh, I haven't seen, which are today because it was Fred's birthday. Did you watch Argentina? Japan sounded like an absolute cracker of a game. No, I've uh, the only rugby I've watched today is watching back the England game, and then I put the NFL on because it was uh, Buffalo Bills and the Jags. Jags, and I, and I fell asleep during that one as well. So uh, I've. <laughs> those are two of my sort of favoured teams as well. I quite I quite like the, the Bills and the Jags. Anyway, um, back onto the Red Bull Cup. So I've managed to watch highlights and read a few reports and message a few people who had watched them. So tried to get to it. But I understand uh, the Emperor himself, Julian Montoya, was captain fantastic for Argentina. Led them to uh, a pulsating uh, and key victory against Japan, which puts them into the quarterfinals. So fantastic to see. Uh, the Emperor in the knockout stages, thoroughly well-deserved. Well done to him. Um, Kata for Tonga, obviously yet to pull on a Tigers jersey, but incoming siding, grabbed two tries against Romania. Both of them pretty much walk-ins after uh, Pietal set him up. Not a bad bloke to sort of have inside you there. <laughs> but um, as I understand, still a nuisance throughout. And as we say, just that raw physicality and, and footwork he provides, whether he's going to be on the wing or in the centres, is going to be a real point of difference. So great for those. Um, and then... I suppose onto the England game. Not the best games, was it? No, it wasn't. I mean, I do take umbrage to perhaps the some of the history. I mean, it is always the same with England, isn't it? Like we play reasonably well, and all of a sudden, oh, England are in with a real sniff of winning this World Cup. We're not. This England have a pretty poor game against the Samoa side that played bloody well, the best they've played all tournament. And Mapasua was correct to say it's no coincidence we started badly and I've got better slightly each game. Uh, considering the, I think they'd only played 10 uh, tests or something like that between the, the two World Cups, which is just, just madness. But effectively, um, you know, it was a squeaked win. I heard people say they didn't deserve it, which I get. I don't... We sort of dominated the second half. We just didn't finish. and We were lethargic and inaccurate. And first 10, 15 minutes, though, we were ev- anything but those things. Thought so we looked really, really dangerous, didn't we? That Ford Farrell axis was purring quite nicely. If Manu could pass Freddie Stewart, he would have been in for an absolutely lovely score, um, having set one up himself earlier, but unfortunately we didn't. And then Samoa started to win the, the contact and everyone lost their heads. And usually I like to blame the coaches for this, but I think this was on the players and the just the stuff of got it like the shot clock thing from Farrell was just mad, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that's such a basic error. It's from, almost from, hard. from your most experienced player and leader of the team. It's almost hard to understand why or how it happened because it, you'd be annoyed if it was a, a two-cap fly half making such an error, let alone one that's played so many games as far as... I'd be, I'd be bloody annoyed at Keynesham third-team level, mate. Like, like when I'm taking a kick, if the, uh, I usually ask the ref... I know how long my, my setup takes, but if the ball goes down and I have to reset it, I ask the ref how long I've got left to, to kick it. Sometimes, at my level, the refs aren't even catching it. Oh, just, just hurry up with it, will you? And it's fine. But sometimes you get the, the proper refs who are perhaps just doing this to get some you know game time up, and they'll tell me I've got 15 seconds left. But I was just absolutely like below amateur. And you know, it was just an example of England switching off. Even Jamie George, usually so good with his darts, was was really off with with a number of them, which was a bit worrying. But uh, as I said, like there was nothing riding on it. There was no 
no real jeopardy for England as much as you try and inject it artificially into it. There's nothing really there. So as, it, on the other hand, don't give a shit. Still one, still top of the group. Four wins from four. Thanks. You in a quarter final. So. Uh, it's an interesting one. Um, as it stands, I think we're playing Fiji, although I think it, as it stands as we record, it's quite tight between them and uh, Portugal. Um, so I look forward to watching that once we've finished, if I can stay awake. But anyway, on to the Tigers boys. Um, Oli Chesham, uh, the galloper in uh, for, for a lovely try first half. Uh, I thought he I thought he had a good game as one of England's better forwards. A uh, couple of silly mistakes. I think there was one where he tried to sort of release on the floor and get back up and basically flicked it into touch, which is a, which is a bit silly. Forward um, should do. Forward should do stuff like that. So yeah, especially yeah. second, especially second row forwards at six foot seven. And Just clear it out, mate. After he sort of like outpaced the winger to get in from thirty meters, he got ideas above his station. I think, but he was very good. He was good in the line out again. Um, I thought his, some of his tackles were excellent, and I thought he was he was unlucky. A very very borderline decision. I thought to disallow his. Uh, what would have been a second try? I can understand why they did disallow it, but I think at the same time you've seen them, you've seen them given, haven't you? So yeah, it's a tough one. Tough yeah, one. T- tough one. But I thought he was decent. Uh, Coley, tight head, uh, absolutely inexplicable. I mean, Andrew Brace, man. Like, I mean, I thought, I thought he he absolutely took the piss out of England in the first half, and then he reversed it. I thought he took the piss out of Samoa in the second half, which has led to this nonsense sort of one-eyed view of oh, you know, it's tier two nations getting the. Yeah, the hard, harsh end of the stick again. I was like, well, actually, if you look at the first half, how <laughs> McFarland got away with a yellow card when he, <laughs> the most cynical collapse of them all, he actually just comes in and tackles the bloke when it's sprinting towards the line is, is absolutely nuts. Uh, unbelievably, he doesn't get a yellow card. And then Coley, what I was coming on to, had utter dominance in the scrum. Samoa were folding in, standing up every time under pressure from him, and he was staying perfectly straight. And Brace just would not penalise for them for that. So I thought he had a really good game in what he was meant to do without being rewarded for it. Uh, he actually made a, a one try saving tackle on a break through the middle. I still just think kind of when the pace of the game picks up at this level, he he, he is sort of left lagging a little bit. Yeah, I think that he's done what he needs to do in this World Cup which is in terms of of the four group games he's played in a couple he's dominated his opposition number and it's allowed the other tight heads to get um, a rest so it, it's he's done his role and he's done his role well Exactly I, it'd be interesting to see if he does have a, a role to play in any of the future games I mean um, Fiji scrub is actually one of the best in the tournament so whether or not they actually want to hold him in for that one to try and sort of like get some stability in case things are going wrong with your first choice tight head I'm not sure. It'd be really interesting to see if he plays again. But like I say, I think that you know he's he can feel some level of redemption in, um, in terms of his scrummaging performances this World Cup. So really pleased for him. Um, outside that, Freddie Stewart thought he had a really good game. Actually, um, just should have had a couple of walk-in tries when people inside him just didn't pass. Manu won Farrell again later on, and it, you felt really sorry for him. But lovely sort of outside break and offload uh, to set up. Chesham's try wasn't there. I think he passed to March and that was really nice. Flawless in the air. Um, potentially say, oh, he was too narrow, I think, for, for one of Samoa's tries. But again, he's following the guys inside him, isn't he? I've got no idea what Johnny May's doing. I think that's, that is the point, is that Johnny May is a bit of a headless chicken in defence and does what Johnny May wants to do rather than what the team needs. He never used to be. Like I say, I maintain this, 2018 to 2020, Johnny May was one of the best wingers in the world. He was a top three winger. Like it, People always say, oh, the headless chicken when he first emerged on the scene, and I get that. But he actually had the complete game. 
Um, and he'd have thought that the defensive knowledge and positioning would be something that he didn't lose. But he was, I mean, he was just missing for various points of it. So that was that was slightly concerning. Um, off the bench, George Martin. There was there was one drop in a line out, but that was a horrible throw from um, George. You as a jumper, you either want it into the chest or above your head, not into your chin, uh, arrowed into your chin like that. So it wasn't ideal, but he made an absolutely dumping tackle to secure the game, didn't he, at the end? Classic George Martin. It was, almost like, it was just a trademark. George Martin, big hit, stops the attack and, and wins your side back and the momentum and, uh, and the ball. So, yeah, he'll be, again, he's done his role of what he's been asked to do really well. Yeah, definitely. And I thought that, yeah, again, carried really well as well. thought his improvements in carrying are really noticeable. So I thought Tigers boys in, in you know, what was a pretty poor performance from England all stood up pretty well and could emerge sort of with their heads held high. Um, typical Tigers fans will just point the finger elsewhere. Yeah, Alex Mitchell. What? <laughs> On to Saturday's defeat at Bedford. That's a word we've not used yet this season. Defeat. Uh, yes, it's only the Premiership Cup, but it still counts. Uh, first loss of the season. Very, very young Tigers side. I think, what, there was one senior squad member there in Sam Carter. The rest entirely development squads, even if they may be sort of pushing for sort of, you know, uh, some squad places in the Premiership. I think Adam uh, on BBC Radio Leicester said the average appearances for the Tigers was at four and a half per person <laughs> in the opening 20 uh in the starting lineup and the experience level then dropped to one and a half appearances per player on the bench which is uh really fascinating and I've seen a couple of you say oh you know kind of you know winning at half time throwing away that lead that's not really good enough and I think we need a bit of perspective here when you look at what we had on the bench uh, I'm definitely not going to criticise the players. We can perhaps angle some questions at the selection and whether it was too green um, or, or actually have a look at what Tigers were trying to achieve here and, and say actually the means were proportionate uh, or the end was proportionate to the means, if that makes sense. We'll, we'll see see what comes out of the wash. But, but quite interesting to say final scores, 47-28 to Bedford. Game actually a lot closer than that for about an hour or so, wasn't it? I think there was about a score in it and Bedford ran in some, some late tries. Um, again... Premiership Rugby has not graced us with a full-match replay. I listened to the whole game on the radio whilst uh, running around with the, the kids in the park, which was an interesting experience. Elliot, you were there, as you said. Great day out at Bedford. But what are your main takeaways from the game? Yeah, it's it was an interesting afternoon, uh, to be fair, rugby-wise. I, I, there's a, a, someone who's commented on both Instagram and Twitter calling it a disgrace and a shambles that we lost, um, which is quite frankly, nonsense, to be fair. And it's quite big accusations from someone who hasn't actually watched the game or been there. Um, overall, Tigers acquitted themselves pretty well, given the inexperience. It was an interesting game where the first quarter, Tigers couldn't quite get to grips with the physicality in the first 20 minutes. And they were finding their feet. with it. For a lot of them, it was a step up from what they're used to. But once Tigers got into the physicality of the game, the second quarter went pretty well and they got the penalty try and they scored again to get themselves in the lead at half-time. And at that point, you felt that they, it was quite interesting how they would go on. The, the main issue of the game was the third quarter. They just they, It's been a theme of this pre-season for 
across all the teams selected. Um, but this one was a particularly poor third quarter, and it just meant that when it got to the final 20 minutes, Tigers didn't have a lead to defend, which if they had had a decent lead going into the last 20, given the experience of the bench, they might have been able to hold on. They could have gone old school Tigers and pinned them into the corners and, and hold on. Or if they had a bit more firepower in the team, again, they might have been able to claw back the deficit from what they were. But ultimately, neither of those things were the case. And so it meant that when we went into the last 20 minutes, at that point, we were just in front by a nose or were behind. It just meant we just couldn't we couldn't see the game up because the, the replacements that came on were so inexperienced. Again, it was just a, a step up in the physicality. And ultimately, that, yeah. the increased physicality just took it out of them in the end. In the last, that last 10, 15 minutes, they just ran out of steam a little bit because that, that it was a step up in the physicality. It's not step up in, it's not saying they're unfit. It's not saying, oh, they're not, um, their conditioning's wrong. But these are young lads at 18, 19, 20, and they're playing against uh, men. And over time, that physicality... For for many of them, this could be their off the bench. This could have been their first experience of senior men's competitive rugby. And, you know, at at playing at the piss-poor level I've played at, that change is unbelievable. The first rock you hit, the first contact you take, you feel like you're in a washing machine. And that takes some getting used to until, until you physically start to be able to handle yourself and you mentally adapt to it. Uh, so, uh, just to lend some more perspective to this, um, Bedford had two players, and I'm not gone down the experience list, premiership experience list of the whole team, but there were two names that stood out to me straight away. Michael Le Bourgeois, centre, former Wasp player, James Fish, hooker, former Northampton player for many years. Those two between them have more premiership and European appearances, so top-level, top-flight competition appearances, than the entire Leicester Tigers squad did in Premiership Cup appearances so that's you know kind of the development competition so you've got in two players alone for the home side you have that much more experience that much more graft of physicality and it, it to me it looked like i think as uh, what well, looked like her sounded like we lacked as you say not just the physicality but the leadership there were some decisions i think maybe perhaps when we were you know the ball got put in behind us late on and Guys were sort of doing stuff that worked at schoolboy level or worked at, you know, kind of academy grade level. You know, I'm going to go on a mazy run, run it out from this point when actually the situation is let's slow things down, let's set up a platform and let's clear our lines. And that's the kind of thing that you need older heads for. Yeah, there's a couple of things off the back of that. So I spoke to one of the players coming off the pitch and he said about, that he felt um, that Tigers had enough there to win the game. And he was annoyed that they obviously hadn't uh, won the game. But he did say there was a they just lacked a bit of leadership across the board and in terms of just doing the right decisions um, across the board. And that, that does make sense because ultimately what Tigers didn't have for the cost the whole 80 minutes was control. They had zero control of the game, whether that's through the halfbacks or through forward dominance. So you can have control normally across those two areas or, or both. And they just didn't have any control in the game. It was quite held to scale to off the back of it. And it'd been interesting if they'd said, let's say, let's play devil's advocate. If we'd got a Tom Whiteley on the bench for the last 20, it would have been quite interesting to see how that would have gone. If there had been a Harry Wells and an Ollie Cracknell, either on the bench or starting in the pack, it would have been interesting just to, just to have a couple more firepower options in there 
just to see if that had tipped Tigers over the in edge in terms of power. In some key positions as well. In some key positions, yeah. I what agree. Tigers almost needed to do was almost old school Leicester. So once they'd got to the last 20 minutes and at, once um, Woollett had scored, and I think it was 28-26 at that point, they almost needed to go old school Leicester, which is you, book, you, you pin them and you pin Bedford back and they're 22 and you make them play out from the 22 and almost have a try and take a stranglehold of the game by just box kicking and pinning them back into the corners, moving them up and just say, right, if you want to score some tries, or if you want to get some points, you've got to play out from your five, from your 10 metre line and we'll, 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 we'll suffocate you off the back of it. Ultimately, could have been experience and the lack of firepower. They just weren't able to do that. And ultimately, it was that last 10 minutes where, and for, the, the scoreboard doesn't really do it justice. The scoreboard, make, it's not, not discrediting Bedford actually because they deserved to win. They were a much better team and, on the and, day, and they played some really good rugby. I think we've got to. I, I, oh, hundred percent. From the sounds of it, there were a couple of guys who I thought seemed to play particularly well for Bedford. I think there was uh, the winger Fish who scored a lovely chip and chase, collected it himself. I think he made a hash up for um, one of the tries that we managed to uh, score from, which uh, you know we gleefully took. But I think that was a rare mistake by him. And their number eight seemed to be causing havoc. Uh, his name. Uh, Beg your pardon if it somehow listens to this. King, Cameron King, that was it. Uh, their number eight seemed to be on an absolute mission. Yeah, it was just, it was one of those where they just, Tigers just, just didn't have that control which they needed. And they just didn't have, they at best had parity in the forwards. And it all it, without forward dominance, it they, it is very, very hard to do anything. It was unlucky for one of the tries. I mean, Elliot Gourlay, I think Achilles, um, there's a kick in behind and Gourlay's top there to tidy it up and his Achilles completely goes. Oh, just, gosh. So literally, I mean, it's either his hammy or his Achilles that goes, but he pulls up lame and the, and the Bedford guy can he, score. He, he sounded he sounded quite handy as well, Gourlay did. I think it was one of those where there was a comment that was made by um, one of the, the Tigers coaching staff um, off the record um, in, his, in his sort of post-game chat and basically said, there's a few lads who have stepped up and I've shown that with they can they've got a future in and around the club. There's some um it was a bit early for them and they've got a bit of work to do if they want to have a, a future at the club. And there's a few which sadly um have probably shown that either national one or championship is their level and they won't they won't be staying at the club um following on from this season. Gorlay's one where you sort of go, there's something there as a player in terms of his he's he's a tidy footballer. And I think there's po- there's enough positives there to sort of showcase that there's there's something there's some rawness in there, but can be funneled and channeled into into something really positive. No one really sort of had a a bad game per se, as such. No one you don't really sort of sit there and go, oh, such such and such had an absolute stinker. But what you do sort of go is is that they didn't shine, or they just had an okay game, or mm. they, they had a bit of a mix and match stuff where they did some good stuff and they had some bad stuff where, and ultimately. That, Against a team like Bedford, it's not disrespectful to Bedford, but if you've got first team aspirations, you need to be consistently good against your opposite number and you do all the right things throughout. And there's a few lads did do that. You know, we've sort of seen some of them so far, you know, likes of Ilione, Khan Duff. To me, they sort of would, would, they sort of shone out as being um, just naturally good rugby players and they looked comfortable at this mm. level and what they were being asked to do. And then there was a few others that, as I say, would have a good moment and then have a bad moment and or just looked okay throughout. So uh, they will 
for the purpose of what the game was all about in terms of giving 22 young lads a game, to be fair to shout out Sam Carter, who led and marshaled the team very, very well and uh, did a great job and showed his class as an international. The other 22 lads, they gave themselves, acquitted themselves well and they made the game competitive and deep down they probably could have won it. Even without, you can talk about who wasn't there or who wasn't selected. That 23 did have an opportunity to win it and they'll be frustrated that when with 20 minutes to go, mm. if they'd have just been a bit smarter with how they played the game and just how they saw, how they were managing the game, they could have got something from it. But the, it, it it was a good run out and it, they'd have ticked enough boxes across the board in terms of, even if nothing else, filtering the players of where they've got and at what level they're at. It's quite funny that a few weeks ago, you and I were patting ourselves on the back, thinking we're very clever, thinking that we'd understood the reasoning behind Tiger's uh, strong selections against Newcastle and Sale, thinking that you know we were targeting this home semi-final at all costs to fill that fixture gap um, for funding purposes, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, perhaps that was a reasonable assumption to make at the time. As it stands, obviously, just to clarify, we are still through to the semi-finals of the Premiership Cup. Uh, I believe that we are third seed, which means we'll have an away semi-final. Exeter got absolutely hosed with basically their first choice team minus internationals against Bath and their first choice team. So that was that was quite an eye-opener. Um, but it's quite it's quite interesting then. If you add up the fact that Dan McKellar did not take the raids for this, it was all handed down to Matt Smith. Uh, the fact that in a few of his recent soundbite interviews, he's talked about everything is building towards the premiership. I think that we've been wallies, mate. I think we've misread it. I think actually a home semi-final would have been a nice to have, but I think everything has been geared towards getting this new squad accustomed to the way Dan's playing with the goal of hitting the premiership um, at a, at a running pace. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think ultimately they have, what he wants, obviously it's six day turnaround from Bedford through to, to, uh, Bristol and obviously we sit here on Sunday recording it they were in this morning um, doing their preparations for the week so clearly I think bar maybe one or two you could maybe argue but anyone that played against Bedford on Saturday won't be playing against Bristol ultimately what he wanted is to have 30 guys prepped and fresh for Sunday morning to prep for um, for Bristol and it is, I think it's quite apparent that in when they were looking at their plans for the preseason, I suspect this game was always earmarked as the youngsters game in terms of it's the last week before uh, the preseason. We won't put anyone in who is either going to play or has a shot of playing against Bristol and it will just be the development side uh, that gets the run out. Whether that's right, whether that's wrong, I don't know. Yeah, but it's strange. It'd be a surprise... You know, not to see Ilione in the squad. I think that he, he seems to have played his way into it. But again, we don't see what they're doing training-wise. We don't know how well the other guys... I mean, like he's up against Crackers, Hanro, Rogerson uh, and Hatherall. Uh, you know, just trying to get four spots. And those are guys vastly more physically developed and more experienced than him. So perhaps it's not manners to say that, look, for this first game, I'm going with experience. Um, but I'd like you to be a senior player amongst this group of kids. But... You know, I think in an ideal world, you could perhaps quibble about saying, look, did he, did he need to take, effectively isolate a full 23 to 30 players for the first team 
and not just dribble a couple of guys in who might need game time, like Harry Wells on the bench. Uh, like we've said, Matt Rogerson has had a couple of injuries as well. Uh, Wells and Cracknell are the two Crack- I would have... Cracknell, pro- yeah. I'd have done the two I probably would have gone with, purely because he had 50 minutes last week. It wouldn't have been a bad idea just to have given him 60, 65 minutes just to just to really get the match fit. for Because you... Those two areas are probably the strongest strength and depth areas we've got positionally. So it, I'm not saying it doesn't matter if Wellesley gets injured, but we have resources to cope with it. If Cracknell did get injured again, you have resources to cope with it. So I think those two are the probably the strongest ones you can make a case for. And then possibly Phil Fock and Seager in the back line, again, just to have, to have either be on the bench as an insurance policy for that last 20 minutes, or to, again, just to start to work alongside Woodward. So they, uh, they, I'm not saying we needed to have put out a much senior team. I think there's an argument for two, maybe three more senior players to have got the gig just to have just to have boosted the the, the physicality and just in the case of Wells and Cracknell, just to boost their minutes up and just to get them primed and re- just give them another shot so that they're going into Bristol having had 65, 70 minutes under their belt rather than at the moment. They could, if they do play, they're going in after 50 minutes, which I'm not saying it's going to, it's a bad thing, but it would have been yeah. a stronger run up for them to have had a longer game amongst it. Well, like I said, we're not going to go into the Bedford games uh, too much because it's difficult to take a lot out of it. I'm just going to pick a couple of names for you to report back on. Joe Woodward got his first try for Tigers, followed quickly by a second. From listening to the radio, he sounded like uh, when we interviewed him, he was fantastic in talking about how he wanted to develop his physicality. And it sounded like that was something that kind of like really stood out. Yeah, it's, he was one that sort of... You, he looks alongside Kanda for nearly only. He looks in that sort of step above age grade in terms of his ability. And he looks like he's someone that each time I see him play, I, I come away impressed with how he goes about his work, whether it's in defence, making his hits, or it's just his, his handling uh, and his core skills in attack. Yeah, he, he ticks a lot of boxes and I can understand why um, there's a lot of excitement about him in the club because he, Again, he never lets the side down every time you watch him play, and he he, he always impresses. Uh, also, question from Harry Robbo on Twitter uh, says: Small request uh, to Elliot. So, uh, spotlight on you, mate. Uh, I don't suppose it could be mentioned how Van de Fleer played today. I think he was starting loose head, young man, big, big young, uh, you know, big, big unit for such a young man. Uh, no relationship, as we understand, to uh, World Player of the Year trademark Josh Van de Fleer. Uh, but it, how how did he get on, and, and how what kind of a prop does he look like being? Well, he's a big lad for starters. I mean, it, for someone who's only eighteen, nineteen, he's a decent size already. Um, that's that's probably why um, what helped get him the um, starting gig. Um, to be fair, it's, I would like to watch the game back as well, purely to pick him out, as just so I can focus on him a bit more because it's it's hard when you're stood on the terrace to try and. Sometimes, in, especially in the forwards, yeah, you can particularly, get, particularly the type five, they can get sort of lost in amongst all the clear up stuff. From from what I could see, the scrum held its own, and uh, which, considering his inexperience, is a good thing. And he's impressed, you know. I think he did the nuts and bolts of his game in terms of his clear outs. He was always involved in stuff. Um, certainly, one of those where you'd go, he's put down a, as a decent first marker in terms of performance. I think he'll come away fairly content with how he's gone about it. 
Perfect. Well, before we move on, was there anything else? Closing thoughts, Ali, I'll throw to you as uh, our, our, our man in the stands. Yeah, sure. I think ultimately the, the takeaway is it is that for some lads, that will be their last opportunity in a Tiger shirt. And that's sadly just a brutal reality of how professional sport is. They just didn't take an opportunity well enough to showcase that they're, they're a premiership player. The flip side is that there are players who did put their hands up and showcase that they are in the rounds and some of the hype around them is justified and that they are of a, of a strong enough level. It, what would be interesting is of those those younger lads who are in their sort of first year, second year of being in in a development squad, how well they kick on uh, and go on because ultimately there is an opportunity for some of them to go on and, and and look under McKellar, you've got a head coach that if you're good enough, he'll back you. So that's a positive thing. So it it would be interesting to see how they go about it. No one really disgraced themselves per se, and they will take a lot from it. Ultimately, as much as they hurt the fact that they lost they will take a lot away from this in terms of getting better and for some of those boys making their debuts they've now got a feel for what top end rugby is about and they need to take that into their development moving forward Right, as I mentioned before we're super lucky to be joined by Tigers try scorer extraordinaire I, I would love to give you the real big up of saying like all-time premiership rugby try scorer, but then Chris Ashton's gone and sort of pissed yeah. on that bonfire recently. Yeah, gone and ruined uh, it completely. Yeah, but uh, we've got got Tom Vondell here. It's fantastic to see you, mate. You look absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to say it straight away. You've got you, your face is wasted up, wasted on the radio. Um, so <laughs> need to be doing telly work. But uh, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Uh, how are things going with you sort of post-retirement? Obviously, you sort of had a cameo appearance back at, at, at Tigers and then uh, a couple of seasons ago. And it's how's how's everything been since? It's been good. Um, obviously, COVID uh, came in and so it forced me into early retirement, um, I should say, you know, because, you know, two years out, it was effectively two years of no real rugby. I know there's some of the teams played behind closed doors, but I came back from a stint out in Hong Kong um, and I think I knew it was it was time. I I that love to play the game wasn't there anymore. Um, and yeah, like COVID came at the right time. It gave me time chance to sort of sit back and sort of have a look at things and spend some time with the family. Um, almost too much time. I think we nearly killed each other at the end of COVID. But um, yeah, and then I got back into I suppose coaching. Um, working down with Oxford Brooks University. Um, I run a sports management company as well, looking after young rugby players coming through the system um, and yeah a little bit of TV punditry work now and again so yeah just keeping busy, busy spending man. time yeah spending time with the family which is I think as a rugby player you miss out on a little bit because every weekend you're playing and you know you're training every single day so and you're very focused on, your, on what you're meant to be doing on your job so yeah it's been nice sort of stepping away from playing regularly it's been described as quite a selfish profession in a way. Whilst you obviously put yourself through a lot and obviously you, you can give your family the rewards, their entire lives obviously revolve around you, which is, which is, I suppose, quite unusual. You know, like even people sort of in, you know, like fairly full on jobs, you know, find that balance, but you don't get that yeah. as a professional sportsman. So it must be quite nice now to, to try and sort of like, yeah, focus on, on the family instead. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, um, I've got me. I've got three young kids. Um, my eldest is sixteen now. And he's actually just starting out on his, on his rugby journey. He's actually in the Tigers Academy. Um, 
and noted. <laughs> yeah, lot, a, uh, a, a lot of noises now at Tigers will be straight away just making a note <laughs> straight away. Look out for Vandell. <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of you know, I, I have so many happy memories of playing, like so many like, real positive memories. I've made great friends along the way. Um, but you're right. You know, I, I've had to drag my family from club to club whenever I moved overseas. Um, they had to deal with my bad moods when I had a bad game, and obviously the tiredness, like being sore. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's full on, it's full on. And but you know, you're looking back, you wouldn't change a thing. Um, obviously, you change not getting dropped sometimes or having bad games. But other than that, like the memories are brilliant, and I had a fantastically, I had a fantastic career. I enjoyed every moment of it. I think it was. 18 seasons in total so you know i definitely had a good stint well let, let's get into some questions about your time at tigers and some of those memories because one of our listeners Gigi and cora asks like a very very straight up basic question but it's, it's quite an important one was how did you get into rugby and what what made you want to become a professional rugby player um i started playing rugby when i was under 10s and one of my friends just took me along to join him with an open training session and I wasn't actually into sport up until that point. I did a bit of running, athletics, like, but it wasn't anything I did with a passion. Um, and after the first training session down at Chinna, actually, Chinna, Chinna Falcons, absolutely loved it. Um, you know, it was that being part of a team. I never enjoyed the athletics because I didn't like being on my own. I didn't like that, you know, just running up and down a track. It didn't, didn't give me excitement. But when you're with a team, um, and it was from, from straight away from nine, 10 years old, absolutely loved it. Yeah, I love the whole environment of being in a rugby team. Um, and it wasn't the case of I want to be a rugby player when I grow up because I think it was 1995, 96. The game had only just turned professional. So being a rugby player as a job wasn't a thing. Um, and I just almost just kept on going, kept on getting selected for like county. Then you've got the regional trials and then you're England 16s. And before you know it, you're like, oh, actually, you know, you can make something of this here. Um, I didn't. I didn't ever go, I want to be a rugby player because it wasn't ever a thing, but it just happened. I was so lucky. Um, and then joined the Tigers Academy at under 14s. Um, went to school in Bristol for sixth form, did my A-levels there. Sent Dusty Hare an email saying, oh, could I come back to Tigers after I finish my A-levels? And he was like, yeah, come on, come on up. Um, came back up after playing for England 19s and signed my first contract. It was very bizarre. It wasn't pl a planned thing at all. It was just one of those things you're on the I suppose the road, the pathway, and uh yeah, it all thankfully went well. I'm torn between deep admiration for you and also a deep, deep envy for someone who desperately wanted to be a professional rugby player but unfortunately was way too shit. But when you came into the Tigers team, am I right in saying that was you were right at the tail end of the Martin Johnson yeah. era, like Neil Back era. This incredible sort of dynasty that had been built was finally coming to an end and you you come into there as sort of like young flash very fast winger i mean what was that like coming in? i mean that must have been incredibly daunting it was terrifying absolutely terrifying because you i was this skinny little i think i was 75 kg um and i obviously i knew who all the players were i'd, I'd watched them as a kid and you walk into the first training session i'd left school the day before um and i was told by the academy coach at the time you got to get out to Tigers for, for Monday that's when pre-season starts so I literally finished school on the Friday went to see my mum and dad down in Oxford and then was up into the new place that I rented with a couple of the other academy lads watching the training session it was just like oh my god like these giants I'd watched on TV I'm suddenly in there training with them and it was it was a for a young kid 
I think for any young rugby player, Tigers was the best environment because they don't tolerate any arrogance. There's no big-headedness, no bravado. You just go in there, you work hard. And straight away from minute one, I knew that I was in the environment that if I messed about, I wasn't. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna make it. So I remember playing a game of touch. We played a warm up game of touch at Tigers, and it's never oh, touched. The, the, the infamous touch games of touch yeah. at Tigers. Yeah. And I was um, being a cheeky little teenager. Pulled back Leon Lloyd as he was running past me. Literally, I must have been five minutes into the game, and he took a swing at me and missed me by about a millimetre. And I was like, "Oh my god!" So this is how <laughs> it's going to go. And it literally for the, I think I was there for six years first stint, and it was carnage every single day. It was the most physical, hard-working club I've ever been a part of. The the rumour that went around, oh, I think I, I remember seeing it reported, was obviously your speed made you stand out like very early doors and you sort of you burst onto the scene and had a, a couple of really big try-scoring seasons. But there was this rumour going about about your 100-metre time that you'd run in socks. Now, Stephen Denning wanted to raise this to ask about, you know, what was the detail around it. I also wanted to clarify that. I think when I read, read the report, I think... It's a bit of a Freudian slip by the writer because he said Tom Vardell's 100 meters time was XXX ran just in socks. I assume you were wearing other stuff apart from just socks and it wasn't. No, it was. I was completely yeah. naked. Completely naked, but I was good, wearing good. knee length just, socks. Just as yeah. I hoped. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was, it, honestly, this, this thing kept going round and round and round for ages. It was literally at school. We were doing our GCSE PE and it was timed on a stopwatch. It wasn't even a real time. Um, I did run a 10.6 in spikes on a track. Um, but that wasn't a good that wasn't a good story. So they all went with the socks, and so yeah, it was, that's just what it was. But it wasn't what was, accurate. What was the time that they said for uh, you know, even if the guy did click the stopwatch a couple of times? Ten point eight, ten point eight in socks. Yeah, yeah, that was what it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I wanted to ask you was that, and I hope I hope you won't take umbrage for me saying this, but watching you. It came across that you were quite a confidence player. That one, when you got mm. in the groove and like you had a run of games, you, you were you were unplayable. But then on the same time, like a lot of players, when you were you were in, when you were in a dip, it was a difficult place to sometimes get out of. Like was what oh hundred percent. Was, what was, um, ti- was Tigers like the best I'd, environment for that? Um, yes and no. Obviously, when you're doing well and everything's going your way, then Tigers are a great place to be. But I think as a eighteen year old coming in, um, and because the way that I think the first first two years, it was just, it was unbelievable. I didn't feel I'd even play in the first two years of being at Tigers with the, you know, you had Leon Lloyd, you know, um, Austin Healy was there. It was just ridiculous. John Holtby was one of the, Alessandra Turlangi got signed the year I joined. Sarah Beanie came. Um, I didn't think I'd get a look in. Um, and obviously, being good at schoolboy level is one thing, but to do it at premiership level is, you know, just, it's a complete, there's another, another world. So when I got my opportunity, oh, my confidence went through the roof. I was absolutely flying. And I didn't get many knockbacks in the first two years. It was just, I was scoring tries. I was staying up, starting. We played in Premiership Cup finals. I think I was top try scoring my second year. I got my England call up to Australia. And that's when it went to shit. Absolute well, shit. You, you, you had a first cap where you, you, you stormed in for a try. Was it Samoa? Samoa. Yeah, because there, there were two yeah, big yeah, things. Yeah. That was Lewis Moody and, yeah. and Alessandra yeah. having a big fight. And then there was the kick yeah. through yeah. for you, wasn't it? And I bet your eyes were yeah. some of that. You're like 80,000 yeah. and I get to properly open up the, the engine on this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was... I, I, see, I don't count that as my first... I do, well, Obviously, it is my first cap and it was an amazing experience. Um, but, you know, I got given that on the back of a... a you know, a good couple of months at Tigers. I off. I then flew off to Dubai 
with England sevens to play in the, the sevens. And I was like looking forward to that. Everything was just like, this is awesome. Just loving it. I just took everything in as it came. Um, my first real test though was the Australia tour. Um, when it just, we got our asses handed to us. Like it was brutal. We took a bit of a bother squad, um, against at the time, the Wallabies, nothing like they are now. They were actually very, very good. I was against Lottie Takiri. Um, and I wasn't meant to start in the first test and I found out I was playing on the Thursday or Friday. So I thought I was going there as a bit of a, just a, you know, watch it for the first week and see what happens in the second week. And Simpson Daniel got injured in training and I was suddenly chucked into it and it was just fucking horrendous. Like my head got shoved up my ass, I think about 25 times during that game. And my confidence did take a knock because it was the first time that I had realized, actually, I'm not as good as I think I am. I've got a lot to learn. Um, because I didn't, you know, before the Tigers at the end of a great bat line, the best premiership team in the country by a country mile. And all I had to do was run in tries. Like I was, you know, you know, do a couple of good breaks and I could rely purely on my athletic ability. I didn't have to learn too much about positioning because I had boys all around me and this is a safety net the whole time. So, um, yeah, I came back. Australia was awful. I then was playing awful for Tigers, got dropped. From Tigers sent on loan to Bedford, then dropped from the England squad, and it was just like, oh my god, what? How do you get back out of this? And back then, obviously, mental welfare and you know, psychologists, it wasn't a big thing. It was like, right, come on, just suck it up and get on with it a little bit, and and that's what you did. But if you couldn't do it, see you later, because the next guy's ready to take your position, and and effectively, that's what happened. That Australia tour, I do remember being like, I remember seeing the team that we sent, like you said, a lot of players were either rested and England themselves weren't, you know, mm. were in that sort of like pit as well between 2003 and 2007. And I just remember watching, getting up early, watching that game. And the whole thing seemed to be, give you the ball with no space. Yeah. And Lottie, Lottie Takiri, one of the most physical wingers in the world, coming at you. I mean, oh, yeah. He, he, yeah. it was one of another classic yeah. England example of... Um, Giving a putting a young guy into a, a, a really unfair situation. Yeah. In hindsight. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, look, the experience I learned a lot. And it look, it may have taken me twelve to eighteen months to sort of recover and build myself up. Um, but I was still young. I mean, I was only twenty one at the time and it was I was just but I had to learn. I had to grow up. I had to, you know, develop my game and yeah, I did I ended up doing that away from Leicester. Um, but you know, I went on and had a, a great career at Wasps. I loved my time at Wasps and uh and Leicester gave me the starting, you know, the, the, the first step. You always bloody scored against Tigers as well. I know. <laughs> I, I, know. I was just every it's time. It's like Harry Thacker for Bristol. You might as well put a tenner on Harry Thacker scoring uh, on Friday against uh, Tigers. <laughs> yeah. He always does it as well with the guys that come back to haunt us. But yeah, I have to admit, as even when I put my neutral hat on, seeing that that you know backline with you and Christian. Um, yeah, it was just just absolutely frightening, and it was fantastic to see you kind of in an environment where you got to thrive a bit more attacking brand of rugby as well. Perhaps um, suited you, but so you had some fantastic memories at Tigers, and I just wanted to sort of like put your brains over a couple of them and and see what might be your your favourites. Ian Morton uh, got in touch to say he remembers a last gasp try against Harlequins. Which um, I think got us a playoff yeah. spot, kick and chase, if I remember. And Jeff yeah. Badland asked if you ever feel guilty about sneaking up on Michael Horak against London Irish. I think it was a, the kick when the wedding <laughs> efforts go dead. I mean, what do you do? You remember those, and do you have any other sort of um, favourite memories from uh, playing for Tigers? Um, the favourite of playing for Tigers. Obviously, you mentioned a couple of them. London Irish try was good. Um, Australian Stade Francais as well. I think in the European Cup final. 
Um, Danny Hipkins makes the break and gives it off to me on, in the outside channel. Um, obviously, we won the Premiership a couple a couple of times, Heineken Cup finals. I actually one of my favourite memories is actually when I was in the academy and Tigers were in the Heineken Cup uh, final, Heineken Cup final, and we went over as the academy to go and watch them. I wasn't selected. I was in my first year actually. I didn't get selected for that game. We got absolutely steaming. I remember the team bus with Lewis Moody, Julian White on the front, and they all saw it. It was me, Matt Cornwall, Matt Hampson was there. We had our faces painted red and green. We're chasing the bus down the street like little kids, not like with their teammates. <laughs> At the best day ever, it was like we all went over there. We played. I think we played the Leinster Academy the day before, and then they gave us to stay over there for two days afterwards. And it was the best weekend ever. Um, so that was a really, really nice experience off the pitch. And then in, before that, and then on the pitch, as you mentioned them, like the just scoring the tries. I used to love scoring at Welford Road. Absolutely loved it. Uh, it's just one of those, it's a special ground. And even going there now when I'm doing a bit of work for BBC, um, it's just such a good environment. It's such a good atmosphere and the crowd are brilliant. The One of the, I'm going I'm to blow some smoke up here. You know what now, because I have to say, I think one of my favourite performances that I remember, and actually I'm going to say it's flat out one of the best performances I've seen from anyone at Welford Road Live, was your performance. I think it was a hat-trick against Wasps, and you were up against Tom Evans, and everyone had been billing this. Tom Evans. Tom, Tom, Tom Evans, and everyone said, oh, no, you know, no, Von, you know, this Tom Vardell isn't the real thing. Like, Tom Evans is the real thing, and yeah. it, it made absolute mincemeat of him. Um, yeah, I remember you blasting past him on the outside a couple of times. I mean, that was you. You could tell after the first one that you, your eyes lit up and you're like, "I'm going to have fun today." Oh yeah, I. So me and Tom had a bit of history before that because we were always in the same sort of age groups growing up, and you know, everyone would almost compare us as as players. Obviously, same positions, very fast players. Like, and I remember him sending a message that morning to Matt Cornwall saying, oh, "I'll tell Tommy I'm going to burn him today." And I was fuming. I was like, what? So all day, like literally all day, I've been building myself up for this game. And I was like, well, I'm going to absolutely kill this kid today. That's it. He's done. And it just, it went, it just went perfectly. Absolutely. Went you, you can't <laughs> drop bombs like that before a game and not follow up. No. no. But no, he kept his no. head down he came for me. after that. <laughs> yeah. He came for me that day and that was it. I was like, right, you're going to get it now. <laughs> that was spot on. Talking about, say, Tigers coming in now, obviously you've, had uh, your time on the airwaves with Adam Whitty um, and uh, doing a fantastic job. So it's been really helpful because the games haven't been televised. But you've got to watch all of Tigers in pre-season. How, a, how have you in, enjoyed that new role uh, as sort of a summariser? And B, what have you made of Tigers during this pre-season? Um, well, I've really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. And obviously working with Adam is brilliant. He's no, he's very knowledgeable. Mr. Stato knows every single stat going about um, Leicester, the history of Leicester. Um it's a, it's a it's a great show. It is a really good show, and I and I've been very lucky enough to obviously get prime seats to watch every single game and see how Tigers have developed under the new coach and the new regime. And um, no, it's been it's been really really good, really exciting, and and looking forward to obviously watching more as the season goes. And in terms of Tigers, like I have to say, like I know last week was a little bit of a slip up, but they put out a very young team against a very good Bedford side. Um, but even within that loss. Perform, there were some performances there which guys can be quite pretty proud of um, and they still I think the way they're playing obviously all the, they've got a great they've always had a great set piece their four play is fantastic that's never you never take that away from Tigers even when they had tough times but what they've added to it is that that link play between backs and forwards the handling the, even watching them warm up is impressive because 
the speed they're moving that ball now from side to side on the pitch is just fantastic. The kicking game's on point. They're getting their kick chases and they want to, they look like they're enjoying themselves. Like they look like a proper gelled United team, which is so, so good. Like you see, if anyone gets in a little tussle, they're straight in there together. There's a good, good team, team spirit there. And, um, and that's half the battle. If you can build that chemistry between players, but not just a starting 15, like you've got 50 players, 45 players in that squad. And they all seem to be singing from the same hymn sheet at the moment. And it's really good to see, good, good to see. And at the moment, I've watched a lot of rugby over the last sort of few months. And at the moment, Tigers have got to be up there as one of the favourites to be um, pushing for the Premiership this Premiership Cup or Premiership Championship this year. Who are you excited about seeing uh, in a Tigers shirt, the very, very bright Tigers shirt this season? Well, there's a couple of obviously new signings. Um, Josh Bassett, my ex-teammate, is um, is obviously there. Uh, and I like Josh. I rate him. He's a very good player. And he's a great addition to Tigers. Othi Hassel Collins has been brilliant this preseason really really good um and in terms of the youngsters honestly at the moment there is so many youngsters coming through that tigers academy uh, in the back row at scrum half um i know simmons has just got injured as he on the wing but he was scrum half when i was last at tigers and the speed that he can run as well he might not get as much game time as he probably would have hoped because obviously the signings they made but there is absolute quality throughout that team. Um, you know, even people like Joe Hayes, I know he's got 100 bloody starts now for Tigers, but he was a youngster when I was there. And the way he's come on, and you still got Dan Cole to come back, and then another 10 Tigers boys to come back from the World Cup as well. Like this squad at the moment, what they're putting out before the World Cup boys come in, I think could compete for the Premiership and win, go and win the Premiership. You add the, other, the 11 internationals that are missing, it's just phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, it looks like McKellar, because he's got this squad depth, and I can't remember seeing a squad with as much depth um, no. as this for years, probably actually since since your era under Howard, when we had, you know, you could, mm. you could pick and choose, you know, yourself, Seru, or Alassane and rotate on the wings effectively, you know, uh, horses for courses, depending who we're playing. But it's, it's really, really interesting to see that rotation policy and how it's going to work. And I just wonder, as someone who perhaps worked under a, a, a reasonable sort of rotation policy before how is that as a player did you find it is it is it quite difficult to try and sort of like keep your momentum going or, or do you appreciate the rest periods um i think the rotation works at the start of the season because you've got to keep boys fresh it's a long old season there's a lot of games and it, like even more so now the games are so physical you do need that that break i think the way dan's done it in pre-season is brilliant as you get to the business end of the season, that rotation, you know, it it's, it does stop. He will get his starting 15. He'll know his 23-man squad and that's what it'll be. They won't be rotating post-Christmas. But everything before Christmas, he's still working out his squad. You know, I know pre-season, we've had the, pre- the, the Premiership Cup and he's had a bit of time with with players, but he's still figuring out, you know, who can do what, who's, which of these youngsters are going to be able to come through and, you know, be trusted, I suppose, with a starting, a starting opportunity. Um, so he won't know 100% yet. So the rotation works early on, but then when you get to that business end post Christmas, you know, it is all business and you need your, you need your best team in week in, week out, especially in the premiership because the quality of squad now is, you know, it's so, it's, it's so high. And if you lose a game, it could cost you the league. Um, so effectively, you, you know, you, yes, you can risk a little bit of rotation, but not too much. As a player, you want to get as many opportunities as you possibly can, but you also like to get a run of games as well because you don't want to go one week on week. You want to build a little bit of momentum yourself as a player, so not too much rotation. Um, you can understand earlier on, but when the post Christmas, you want to get 
keep 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 the, keep the games coming really just for people listening that was uh, that question was from Elliot too if you're wondering why I'm monotonizing the questions that's monopolizing the questions it's because Elliot sadly uh on the piss at a race day and he's very gutted he can't make one of his childhood heroes so um just um final question then I think you've touched on it before what are you hoping for Tigers to achieve this season not just in terms of you know winning things or anything as arbitrary as that but in terms of a progression of their play so I just want to um, see more of what I've seen. I think it's been exciting. Um, it's great to see that they're combining what they had last year and mixing it with a bit more interplay, a bit more backs play, wide play. Some of the tries have been, have been brilliant. But I also want to see them really bring some young youngsters through. I want to see some some of the future of Tigers, not just the focus on the, the 15, but actually get these youngsters coming through the system now. A bit like they did in the Harry Ellis, Ollie Smith, Sam Vesti sort of, and I think Dan Will, I think he's really invested in bringing the youth through and seeing these guys develop into first-team players this season. And I think with the squad they've got, they can do that because there's so much experience there. It's a perfect opportunity to bring a youngster through to really be the next, you know, Harry Ellis, Ollie Smith, Sam Vesti, Brett Deacon, all these guys. And you look at the coaching staff, you've got boys, they're all Tigers. They've all been there. They've all done that. And that's very unique in a premiership club. Tom, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show. You've been um, been very, very insightful, extremely articulate, and you can get more of that um, by listening to Radio Leicester, either the Radio Leicester Rugby Show podcast, or you can listen to commentary uh, on match days. And uh, anyway, we'll see you on Friday. Um, Elliot, yes, I'll try will. to keep control of Elliot and stop him from fanboying <laughs> too much. But um, okay. we might be a couple of pints deep before we go on the radio, so that, that that's always risky. But uh, yeah, uh, either way, I might mate. join you. I might yeah, join you. Exactly what depends <laughs> what the result is. Mate, that's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. Let's get on to the Nails 15, and due to our lacklustre approach to everything regarding this podcast, uh, we forgot to ask for some recommendations for the blindside flanker last time. We've now got them, and um, I think we've got a quartet of pretty hard bastards, and actually there's a really, really good option who is going to be left out. Yeah, so um, our suggestions last week were Brett Deacon, uh, Lewis Moody, and Paul Gustard. And then there's another two sort of names that flashed up, which was John Wells and Craig Newby. So we've took the decision that we need to cut one from that list. And it is a tough one to cut, but we're deciding to cut Craig Newby to get uh, John Wells in. Yeah, and John Wells is a controversial one because I I think that if the professional era had been longer, he'd be up there as the favourite or joint favourite perhaps with Moody. But... You know, he only played two years of pro, I think. And again, this is all sort of like post-95, uh, 96 season and onwards. So, yeah, I, but he was obviously part of that Leicester core that sort of led such a, a brutal, hard-nosed approach to forward play that Tigers became renowned for. So really sort of epitomised that and obviously was a mentor to such young whippersnappers like Martin Johnson and Neil Back. So a phenomenal player. So... I think that John Wells is uh, is a, a very sound shout. Uh, Craig Newby, fantastic, versatile Kiwi, but not just like a skillful one, but like absolutely hard as nails as well. Uh, and to be honest, he, he is very, very unlucky not to be in the top four. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but because of his versatility, 
we may need to look at him for uh, for seven. So uh, all is not lost. Good point. Yeah, exactly. Very, very good point. Or even centre. Remember that game against the Oscars? Yeah. That'd be true <laughs> uh, when he came on. Uh, just quick one of the other three. Brett Deacon, the A-League king, uh, who spent most of his Monday nights uh, starting and finishing fights. Purveyor of justice. Purveyor of justice. And, of course, carried that on when he played in the Tigers' first team and, in fact, carried it on for Gloucester as well. Uh, then we also have Paul Gustard, uh, defence coach extraordinaire now, but again, another absolute hard bastard, typical grafter at six, never took a backward step. And then I think probably the fans' favourite, surely the favourite to make the uh, the first team here, Lewis Moody. Um, what can you say about the man? Apart from he's a complete psychopath. Puts his head in everywhere you shouldn't put your head in. The expression I heard about Moody was put his head where I wouldn't put my feet. Just loved carnage. Loved pain. Absolutely loved pain. So those will be the four. It'll be Lewis Moody, Brett Deacon, uh, John Wells and Paul Gustard. We'll put up the vote on social media this week. Make sure you make your clicks. Okay, let's um, get into the Premiership kickoff against Bristol. Ashton Gate, Friday night. Elliot and I are going to be there. Slightly annoyed because we went and bought tickets from the Bristol website, which Elliot will tell you took me about six attempts. Um, that may be the website. It may be me, but I have heard bad things about the website. Uh, and then I think the following day, Tigers released, an, uh, it was announced they had an away allocation in a block that is the exact opposite corner to where we're sat. So I think we might sit the first corner in our allotted seats, and if it looks good fun, I think the away tickets are cheaper than ours. We'll see if we can sneak in um, incognito with our with our Tiger stash on. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see how it, see how it plays. Exactly. Uh, before Elliot and I have a, a chat about it, I had uh, the luck of speaking to a friend of the podcast, Pete Brearley, who heads up the Bears Beyond the Gate podcast, which obviously is the Bristol podcast. We always speak uh, before every game. He's exceptionally knowledgeable about Bristol. He's got a fantastic sense of humour and he's always got a really level-headed view on how things go. And here's my chat with him, which took place tragically in the middle of a Saturday afternoon. Okay, well, very lucky, as is now tradition, to be joined by Pete Brearley from the Bears Beyond the Gate podcast, the Bristol podcast. Uh, Pete, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thanks. Um, it's uh, it's really nice to talk to you. It's been a bit of a complicated sort of uh, journey to make this meeting up, hasn't it? Because we both have a lot of pressures. You've got your your young family, and I've now got a teenage family. And between us, it's been quite hard to to find a time to do this. But sadly, we are speaking kind of what is it now? Sort of two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, which is uh, you know neither of us have got anything <laughs> a, to do with. What a time. tragic <laughs> indictment of our social lives that is. It is very sad. Yeah. So, yeah, never mind. Um, Pete, let's get stuck into it. Um, Bristol. Obviously, last few seasons, you had, had that wonderful season where I know it didn't it didn't work out in the semi final about two years back. Um, we like to think that the Papa Lamb incident, um, <laughs> it, you know, the scrum. Game. You still can't let it lie, Mike. Um, he, he lives rent free in my head, Pete, uh, and I'm, I'm completely open about it. But obviously, the uh, the, the scrum gate was the turning point. We like to mm. think there, uh, but it's been up and down and. I, th I don't know what the, the feeling is for Bristol going into this season. Is it one of optimism or, or looking to build, or is there a, an idea that you can tilt, uh, make a tilt for the top four? I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I think at the end of last season, there there was a lot of disappointment um, 
deep disappointment because it was a second season of underachievement essentially and this is this was based on the on on us kind of being sold quite a a big dream um of us kind of challenging in Europe as well as challenging the top of the premiership you know like any club we we had issues we had injuries at times when when maybe we didn't need them and and um and so forth but that's no different to any other club so i i think there was a a feeling of of disappointment and and kind of almost like this is this season we we need to see some substantial kind of improvement in in many areas um you know we know that you know, Pat had signed a very long-term deal, which, you know, people would debate whether that was a good idea or not. Um, you know, there had been some quite a lot of questions perhaps around around the way that the the coaching had gone, you know, the sort of the, the way the players were responding to certain things. It was almost as if we 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 actually probably went in a way, went away from the thing that got everybody excited about Bristol, which was this free-flowing sort of offloading rugby that got us almost to the the summit. Um, and then we kind of became a little bit more pragmatic over the last two seasons, but just not doing it very well. We were kind of averagely good at box kicking and averagely good at chasing. And and then, you know, just it always seemed like we just made basic mistakes the whole time. And I think people just got a bit sick of hearing about, you know, the lads are trying hard. And, you know, we knew they were trying. We, nobody ever denies that rugby Lots players. Lots of learnings, wasn't it? Lot, was yeah. It. I mean, the irony was that the word learnings disappeared out of out of post-match interviews because I think it, even the management realised it was becoming a parody and, you know, it was just, we would, it was becoming a bit of a joke. Um, so, it, you know, it became things like reflections and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, that said, every season, you know, you, you draw a line under a season and then you start again. And, you know, whilst it's an odd season for all of us with the World Cup, you know, we have, we've recruited, I think, pretty well, considering we've had to lose some of our, you know, what might be considered big players. Randranger and Piatow have moved on and are obviously are operating under a smaller salary than the salary cap than we have done. But I do think that that some of our, our signings look good. And I always remember you when you first took, spoke to us a couple of years ago, you always you said to us that you feared that our squad even though we were playing well, was quite unbalanced with, with big players and and so on. And I and I and I think you were proven to be right, which just shows what a what a nause you are, Mike. But uh, <laughs> the point is, I think now maybe that balance has been redressed a little bit, and we've got yeah. some some very good, hungry players that, um, and we've we've we picked up some some good good players. You know, sadly, from the demise of wasps and Irish, like a lot of clubs have. So, so I think you know, in general terms, yeah. I mean, there's an optimism going into it, but I've got to say that optimism is tempered a little bit by the fact we, we're playing you first game of the season. The the recruitment. Uh, let's just quickly touch on it because I I mentioned just when we hit the sort of earlier version of this record for your podcast, I said that the backline recruitment has been super exciting, considering that you've. Um, obviously lost the big names you mentioned. You've got Van Rensburg, um, who is a phenomenal player coming in. Um, Ravuvu, is it, uh, uh, from uh, Fijian player, yeah. Max Malins, and now Vakatawa. I mean, Vakatawa might might take a little while, you think, to get up to speed because he's been out of the game for a while. And hopefully, you know, for the sake of rugby, not necessarily Tigers and the league, we see him back to his best because he's a wonderful player. Do you still have concerns, though, about... The, the pack, which is, I think, where perhaps when you've been involved in playing those kind of, uh, say, tight games against more physical mm. sides and you haven't been able to get the ball wide and as openly before, is there a worry that the pack still perhaps isn't going to hit the mark, particularly when your England boys are away? 
Short answer is yes, absolutely. And I think particularly in the in the front five, I, I think the tight five, I think we've been saying this for a long time, is that we need some more filth in there. Um, and we Joe Joyce, who's performed well, Dave Atwood, who's performed that task yes, yeah. over the last couple of seasons, obviously have both moved on. And whilst we've got some great players, and Joe Batley has been someone who's who stepped up last season, became great a bit player. of a favourite, we do still, I still think, that is a, an area we haven't addressed and, and potentially also the front row. Um, the only thing I would say is we, we picked up a guy called Josh Colfield from Irish, who's a local Western Supermare guy. And I didn't know much about him, to be honest, but he's played quite a lot of the pre-season, albeit the Premiership games, and, and actually looks potentially like he could fill that gap to a certain extent. He looks gnarly. He's got no hair. He's quite big. He doesn't look like he's got much on in his life apart from just line out nausing and and i noticed in the games i've seen him play i mean he's been in charge of the line out so you know he he, i i don't think he's the absolute answer but i do think he's something but you know that we do sort of like to speculate that maybe we we've still got a marquee signing somewhere coming and who knows you know now we've got one south african in our side in in bernard yancey van rensberg who by the way is probably our best side we've had for a long time I do just think maybe, just maybe, we might get someone in after the World Cup who could f- perform that 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 function of of hardening us up just a little bit more. Oh, if it's a South African type five forward that gets announced, then I'm um, booting you up my predicted table where I think I had you <laughs> set. Uh, I think I might have had you seventh, but I mean that would be nice to see. It would though. be nice. I think it's a, it's a pipe dream, but well, maybe I but don't know. You know, we someone, don't like, someone like Mostert or, yeah. or, you know, like coming in isn't beyond the realms yeah. of possibility and, you know, or even, you know, somebody from their bomb squad, you know, like mm. uh, Ox and Shea or uh, and Kanye with a wonderful player. And Kanye as well. They both, they play both sides of the scrum. It's, so. it's, it's a, it's a long shot, but I'm just putting it out there now. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Right. We just I, hope don't it, think... I hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> well, it won't happen by <laughs> Friday, so you're okay. Yeah. Um, what let's sort of focus on this this weekend's game. So what what team are you expecting to line up? Obviously you had a big win against Cambridge with what looked close to your best side. Um do you envisage there being any changes from that in particular? And uh, what are your hopes for the game? Not really. I think I think unlike you who I think have put out a, a or are putting out a, a week at an academy team in your last prem game i think we pretty much put out a fairly close to first team i mean as i said josh caulfield started with um uh, in the in the second row we had fitz harding our newly named club captain in the back row magnus bradbury number eight dan thomas and i've got to say was his hair was so silky it was it was like an Alberto Balsam advert from the late eighties. Yeah, that, that's good see because he had the potential to have that, but he looked like Wurzel yeah. Gummidge most of the game, doesn't he? I, I wonder why that's why he didn't get picked enough last season because mm. Pat just said he was using the wrong shampoo, and now because <laughs> nobody can get their hands on him, he like he's slippery like an otter. Um, but joking aside, I mean, I think that back row looks fairly. I mean, Jake Heenan came on; he'll be there or thereabouts. He's, he's Pat's go-to man. The front row, I think Thacker is on fire at the moment. Um, but we we had this guy, um, guy called Jay Tyak, who we signed last season, who didn't from Worcester, didn't play that much, but he's a Cornish tight head. And again, he just looks like all he wants to do is stick his head where it hurts and shove. Um th- Max Laheef has been playing a lot. He pr- he may well play Loosehead or Jake Woolmore. Um, but and then, you know, I think our back row, as I said, sorry, our, our two 
two locks. Um, Joe Batley probably will start. He didn't play last night, but he has played. Um, and we've got Ed Holmes and we've got a young lad called James Dunn who looks the part. He's he looks as we used to, we call it on our on our pod. We like the cut of his jib. Um, he's a jib cutter, but he's still quite young. So I don't think we're far off. Scrum half will be Randall McGinty. Although, funnily enough, Shido came on yesterday and played great in the second half, albeit against a weakened side. Yeah. So he'll be pushing. Van Rensburg and, and James Williams will be our centre partnership for sure. Rich Lane will be our fullback. And then our wingers, probably Ibatoi, Gabriel Ibatoi will be one of them. The other side is up. We had a young lad called Harry Rousen who played yesterday. Very small ginger lad. Nothing wrong with that. But he was <laughs> he was rapido. I, 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 I've not seen him before. And very intelligent. He played really well. He knew when to cut inside, knew when to take the contact. But I doubt he'll start. He might be on the bench. So I'm not sure about our other winger. We've we potentially got Piers O'Connor who might fill in because he came on yesterday, the kind mm. of slightly forgotten man of Bristol. Um, yeah. And I noticed his hair's got quite long and silky, so that might be a sign. There's something but in I, that. So I, I, it's going to be a tough. It's going to be tough on Friday. I, I, I know we chatted earlier about what your team would be like, and it was actually quite scary from from what you were saying. I think you are. Yeah, my my worry is you're gonna you will dominate up front just enough to have that, to put enough pressure on our backs to therefore be snatching at things and trying trying too hard and, and dropping the ball. But we've had two great games over the last two seasons at Ashton Gate. And, and you know, we have got a big stadium. If the fans can get behind our team and, you know, I, I, I'd i like to think it will be a, I, I mean, we has to be a, a good game. It has to be close at least. Otherwise, I think we'll feel quite disgruntled as, as home fans. But I do think it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough night. It's it is always a, I think Bristol versus Leicester is always one of the most difficult games to call because even when, as has been in the last couple of seasons, Bristol have been down in the dumps and Tigers have been flying, the Ashton Gate factor is such a leveler, and um, they, they seem to always pick it up. The, the pack seem to front up, so yeah. I think I mean, I, it's it's going to be it's going. To, I think it'll be. I think that I can understand why you'd be worried about our pack. But I do think that uh, it, it will be closer up front than we expect. And obviously, like you say, if if you guys get the ball in space, then uh, all bets are off. And it's, I mean, rugby support is a funny old thing because, you know, they talk, I mean, the players always say the right thing and say, oh, the crowd were brilliant. They were behind us. Yeah, we love the crowd, blah, blah, blah. But I always find with rugby that it's kind of a chicken and egg. It's like if they start playing well, we get, we start going, woo, and start bristling. But we, but we kind of are reactive. So they've got to, they've got to set the standard first. <laughs> for us to follow and I think it's quite hard I don't think my experience over the last few seasons is that the crowd hasn't been able to when the momentum has gone against us we're not that we haven't been able to quite get them going it's a it's an odd I'm sure there's lots of sociological studies of 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 kind of how supporters impact players and likewise but I do think that our players have got to be the ones to set the standard they've got to show willing to to really make a mark and um you know but we've had a long pre-season you know we've got one of the best training grounds in the country you know we've got a big co- a good coaching team we've got a new Dave Walder came in as a as a as an attack coach kind of assistant really to Pat which I think was a good thing so there's a different voice in the management set up I and mean, I do suspect that Steve Lansdowne said to Pat something has to change and if you're not going to go then you're going to have to get a couple of your kind of old yes men, as it were. Um, no offense to them, Connor McPhillips and um 
Um, oh, I've lost it. Yeah, I forgot about him already. But I do think they were <laughs> sacrificed a little bit yeah. for the the sense of we need a different voice in there. We need someone with a bit of experience who can say to Pat, you know, that's not the right way. You need to think a bit because I think we all know he is a he is the kind of headmastery type. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that that's going to come to fruition. But I think, as I said to someone the other day, I think we'll know within about 20 minutes on Friday of of how our preseason's really gone, um, and then we'll take it from there. Likewise, Pete, it's been brilliant chatting to you. Uh, catch up on Friday for a pint. Brilliant. Absolutely will. Thanks, Mike. Cheers, mate. Right, Elliot, there we have it. Pete is understandably quite rightly excited about some of the signings they've made in the backs. How many of them we'll get to see, we don't know. Certainly, Van Rensburg will be playing. A hell of a player. Absolutely superb player. Um, but he shares perhaps our concerns, or better phrase as our hopes, that their pack might still not have the necessary snarl and particularly the depth to cope with uh, an aggressive brand of rugby. Uh, how do you see Friday going? Yeah, basically along those sort of lines, really. Um, pack really sort of holds the um, clue as to how this game comes about will go. If Tigers can get front foot dominance and set piece dominance, from there they should have enough to, to win the game. I look at the, the the Bristol pack that played against the Bristol team that played against um, Cambridge Cambridge on Friday night, and they put ninety eight points on them. I'm not sure we, we, either time got either team got from that other than the minutes under the belt. But also, you look at the pack that Bristol selected, and there's no one there where you go, "Oh my god!" I mean, Facker is always going to score against us, so I'm probably going to put Facker in my t- fancy team. <laughs> As is tradition, yeah. Yeah, because he'll always go at least one try. So you you guarantee that Harry Facker will score. But you don't look at the Bristol pack and go, oh, God. It, it's hard working, it, but it's, it's nothing more than it's okay. Especially in the set piece for me. I think that like guys like Fitz Harding, I think he's he's a terrific player. Really fantastic all-round player. I think he's the kind of guy that would do very well at Leicester, actually. Very mobile, very aggressive. He's got good hands. It, similar to Matt Rogerson, actually, in a way, in terms of how he plays the game. But uh, I think, actually, their, their back row does look handy. I think... Um, he's a blonde bloke who plays seven for them. You know the guy, Welsh guy. Dan Thomas. Dan Thomas, thank you. He escaped my brain for a second. And they've got Faggerson at six, and they've got Dan Thomas at seven. But that is a very, very handy back row. That That is a very competitive back row. And, you know, with what will be broadly, without our internationals, uh, a majority, if you want to call it, second string pack, we will have to be on our money. But I do still think we can have a nudge on them in the set piece. Max Laheith is the senior prop there. And, you know, he, he looks a million dollars. He talks a few hundred dollars. And... He is good around the park, and I think if he comes up against a guy with not particularly great technique, he has the outright power to obliterate them. But I don't see him, when he comes up against a guy with good technique, I consistently see him get folded. I don't profess to knowing a lot about the other prop, um, which perhaps says a lot, uh, and because I do like learning about my props. Uh, I'm sure we'll get egg on my face from that perhaps come, come Friday night. But I think that the scrum uh, and the line-out, uh, Harry... Thacker has many, many wonderful strengths, but uh, darts is not his uh, favourite. The scrum of the lineup, particularly how we perform preseason, must be massive areas of focus for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a few things which I've I've 
set piece is, is one of the main ones for me and the overall forward pack of getting out of them. I think the last two, if you take Bedford aside, the previous two weeks have been really quite interesting against Ampthill and then Newcastle because Leicester in both games came out the blocks very, very quickly with a very high intensity and blew both teams away and got the bonus point wrapped up in the first 20, 25 minutes. They were very, very quick start in terms of just, blow, just to get the game to one almost very, very quickly. And both Ampto and Newcastle couldn't live with Leicester in the mood. Now, if we take Ampto out, because that's just, that's just almost a, a separate case. But if you look at Newcastle, which was a premiership side selected, and as we said last week, it was a almost first choice Newcastle team. Leicester blew them away in the first 20 minutes and they just couldn't live with the pace, the power and the speed in which Leicester played. If Leicester do that again against Bristol and come out the traps with a ferocity that I don't think there's many teams that could live with Leicester in that mood. And I think that would be interesting to see on Friday night if they do that. The other main one for me is, is we've, just, we've spoken all the time. I know so many people speak about styles of play, whether it was Leicester's last year or the new one under Dan McKellen. You can talk about styles all that you want. To me, rugby is all about three things. We spoke about it two years ago when Leicester were winning the league. If Leicester get the three main bullet points right, they should win this game in terms of the intensity, the accuracy, the discipline. Now, they're almost catch-alls. There's a lot of things that feed into that, but those sort of three main bullet points for Friday night is an area of focus. If Leicester have the right intensity, if Leicester get their accuracy right, if Leicester get their discipline right, they should win this game. Not throughout, there's not arrogant or big-headedness me saying that, but I think we've got a better team from Bristol, man for man, across the park. I think we've got a better pack to do damage, and we've got an exciting backline that's settled and cohesive, and it's got internationals and or international quality players in there. If those get, if we get the intensity, accuracy, discipline right, we should win this game, and that's got to be the focus for Friday night. I think what's interesting, uh, and Pete mentioned this, is that the last two games at Ashton Gate, I think, have come when Bristol have been struggling and we've been doing pretty well. Particularly, obviously, the one where we won on boxing at the last try of the game, last moment of the game, one of the moments of the season that was with Guy Porter going over. But obviously, last season it was a draw. Uh, and a frustrating draw when it felt like we'd played the better rugby and and, and Bristol came back fantastically to snatch uh, snatch a draw after that and could have won it actually at the end, of course. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that the Ashton Gate factor is a factor. And actually, if you look at uh, the way our teams have played, their their best performances have all been at home, our two away performances, okay, we'll take out uh, the, the game against Bedford. But the one away performance we had was a strong team against a very mixed sales side. And we didn't really sort of click into gear there. Ashton Gate, wider pitch, more space. That that will take a little bit of getting used to, particularly when we're playing the territory game. So a lot of focus on Charlie Atkinson to find his range and find it quickly when we're looking for touch, looking to pin the corners and and, and apply the kick chase game. But you know, look for all the talk about us playing some you know nice, fast, exciting rugby. It has to start with the basics. I think set piece has to be on top. We have to get uh, the forwards moving around the corner, tip-ons, all that stuff, breaking that def- uh, defensive line, get Bristol going back, and then we can start to see the likes of Kelly, Porter, Hassel, Collins, Bassett, Brown, Shilcock, I mean, just listing them off. That is a heck of an arsenal without even some of the guys who we don't even need to mention uh, to come back in. So, I mean, it, it's really, really exciting. But Bristol will be, I think, they will be hungry. They've They've been battered you know in the press and by their own fans to a degree about underperforming the last two seasons uh with some of the big names that have gone they've leveled out their squad a little bit as pete said 
I, I don't think they've recruited in the right areas, and I think that that is where we can get at them. But in not taking them for granted, there are no mugs, and um, uh, they're, they're no, on matter, the no matter what I say about Papalam, they're on the day team. You know, we we both put Bristol down low in the table because we don't think they've got the right consistency. Lower mid, I think, is the sixth or seventh, isn't it? Yeah. So both neither of us have got Bristol that high up in our predictions because we question their consistency, and for the reasons you've just given about the recruitment and the pack depth that's going to feed into that consistency piece. But what Bristol are good at is on the day. You know, they took Northampton to the cleaners last year. They absolutely slaughtered Northampton at Ashton Gate. You know, it's a Friday night. It's under the lights. It's going to be a big crowd. It's going to be a noisy God. big crowd. Yeah, that was very impressive. So the, the, the Bristol on their day, because of how they play, can take a team apart and they can they can score pretty quickly. And it's one of those where if they get one try, becomes two, becomes three, and suddenly they can become on top of you. And you've got an issue. So calm heads for us are going to be required because there are going to be periods in the game where we are under the pump and we're under pressure. So the senior leadership in that, so you, we've probably can probably lead into the, the selection course. I think he will probably pick if there's an edge on on a selection, he will start with a more probably the more experienced player to get off with just to steady the ship, especially in the first twenty minutes. Because I think Bristol, I talk we talk about Leicester coming up quickly in the first twenty. I wouldn't be surprised if Bristol equally come out very quickly out of the oh, traps. Could be an absolute cracker. I'm absolutely terrified. Let's uh, quickly go through what we think starting lineups will be based on what Mikel has done. I think he'll go for a th- uh, front row of Van Veek, Claire, and Hayes. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah, I think on the bench we'll see Whitcomb, uh, Dolly, and Hurd. Yeah, they're all rested for for last weekend, so I think yeah. that follows the pattern of 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 the game. Wells and Henderson in the second row? Yeah, I'd say so. Who do you think is going to be second on the bench? Uh, Williams, I guess. Or is he is he even still at the club or has his contract finished? I, well, it, this would be the interesting one. Presumably it would be Wells, uh, not Wells, it would be Williams or Carter. Um, depends on how, um, on who, on availability. But I certainly be, I think it would be Williams or Carter on the bench. And I agree with it, it would be Wells and Henderson that starts. Uh, back row of oh this is difficult now oh this is where it gets really horrible Liebenberg I'm going to say Rogerson and Crackers who at seven who at eight I'm going Crackers at seven Rogerson at eight but basically they're they're sort of all doing the same job yeah I had Hanro at six Crackers at seven and then um, Rogerson versus Haverall for the eight slot and I wouldn't be upset Eva started. The, the only reason I actually went for Rogerson over Hatherall is that I like the idea of Hatherall coming off the bench. Maximum impact, 50 minutes. I think that that is a very angry man that if you're starting to get a few tired arms in the back row, you don't want to see him hitting lines off Atkinson or, or taking short balls. Um, you know, tip on passes. I think that is quite a terrifying thought. Powell to start at nine for me, Whiteley on the bench. Yep. Um, Atkinson to start at 10 and actually I'm just going to go through the rest of the starting lineup because I think my only curveball is at 15 I've got Kelly and Porter in the centres I've got Hassel Collins and Bassett on the wings I'd go Shilcock at full back I've got Mike Brown at full back with Shilcock and Fokker Seeger the um the two other two backs on the bench oh, I can see that very much the I just wonder if Atkinson would like a second pair of eyes on the pitch uh, I mean, not saying Brown doesn't do that, but obviously Shilcock with his sort of uh, secondary trade, his his uh, moonlighting as a fly half, that can be quite helpful, I think. 
So I wonder there. He's got he's got fantastic boot. I think it's it's got a little bit more finesse on the boot than Mike Brown has, who equally has a very underrated boot. I wouldn't be upset to see Mike Brown start. Must emphasize that, and I expect he probably will. But I think personally, I'd quite like to see Shilcock at the back. I'm I find this 15 shirt incredibly hard to pick. I went with Mike Brown purely just because the experience factor, just in terms of. Friday night under the lights, they're going to put up some high bombs in the first Away half. Game, yeah, that just there's a bomb diffuser. Mike Brown just kill that at source. You know, Fred, if Freddie's the best in the under the high ball, well, Mike Brown's probably second, and he ain't that far off off Freddie. So to me, I think you just in calm heads and against a partisan crowd, you're away from home. I think having a spinal team of leadership. So you you talk about Charlie Clare in the front row, Wells and Henderson are leaders. Um, Rogerson, Hanro, Crackners, all experienced campaigners, been there, done that. Having someone like Mike Brown in the back and the backfield again, just a senior mm. pro, gnarly. And, and, and you see Kelly and Porter stepping up as leaders in, in preseason. Kelly as the defensive captain, I believe. Porter, you see now constantly giving rallying calls to players in huddles and things like that. He's a major, major voice in that side now. So, yeah, like you say, I can I can see that. I think. No, I'm now properly on the fence about it because my my I can see that as being like the safety first measure, and I understand that. My instinctive, perhaps more positive approach would be to go for Shilcock, help us get a bit more width, and uh, and open up the field for a for a kicking game, and have a left and right foot option as well, which obviously you don't get because Brownie is a lefty as well as a Charlie. No, it, it, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I, I would, I don't think you'd be disappointed either way, but I I'd no. go for Brown for those reasons. Okay, um, should we make a prediction? First proper one of the season? Ugh. I will predict that uh, I'll have a nice evening having a beer with you. I then predict that I'll have an evening full of nerves watching the game. Yeah. Tigers by two. Oh! I think it'll be really, really yeah, close. You think the Ashton Gate factor is going to come in and we're all going to shit our pants? Lovely. Well, I look forward to that. Um, I'm going to go for. So that is very, very nervous, and perhaps we get a try late on. Um, the, the one thing that I'm banking on is that I think that Bristol's main sort of run out of the gun team has been against Cambridge. And I just wonder, kind of like, again, like you say, if we start quickly, can we get ahead? Uh, can we give them too much to do? Uh, I'm going to say Tigers by 12. That's all for this week's podcast. Thank you very much, Elliot. Thank you very much, Pete. Thank you very much, Tom. And thank you very much to you guys for listening. I hope you all have a good week and manage to catch Tigers either live on Friday at Bristol or on the telly. Either way, we'll catch up next time, man.